believe that next week is uh, the last time Terry and Samantha will be with us for a while. And, of course, I know a lot of people want to be here to celebrate. And I know that I know Terry and Samantha, they don't want a lot of attention, but I think it's maybe as much or more for us than for them. We need to give them the attention because we love them. And uh, so it would be a special day to be with them. And, uh, you know, mixed bag. We love them and we're so grateful that God is at work in their lives. But because we love them, can't help but miss them. But uh, anyway, I don't know. I didn't get up here and start crying all that stuff right now. So, But just, just a word, just a plug. Good week next week. Well, guys, this week, um, as we're on in Song of Songs, I want to talk about a uh, very real part of relationships. How to handle it when you fight. What happens uh, when you get mad at each other? What's the correct way to deal with it? You know, I mean, when you meet that person that sets you on fire... You know, and all you can do is think about that person and you want to be with that person all the time and that person lights up your world and, you know, can't eat, can't sleep, all that stuff. But after a while, sooner or later, a fight breaks out. And it can, man, it can really change things. And it will happen if it hasn't happened because we're sinners. Because we need a Savior. And and so we're going to look at... This is a really tough message, guys. Because I think it just comes down to that bottom line point. Is that we are all sinners. And that we all need a Savior. And that sin must be paid for. And we're going to look at that this morning. As we look at this past passage. Because basically what we're looking at here... You know, last week there was an offense. Where uh, she offended her husband... And, and this week they make up. And so we want to look at that in detail because I think it really hits home with real life. Reconciliation is a key to being fulfilled and the joy. And so uh, let's look at Song of Songs, chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 2 through 10. So I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as I uh, read aloud. My lover has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. You are beautiful, my darling, as Terzah, lovely as Jerusalem, majestic as troops with banners. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them's alone. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of pomegranate. Sixty queens there may be and eighty concubines and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. The only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The maidens saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. Who is this that appears like the dawn, fair as the moon, brides as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here today. God, you are holy and we are not. 
The only holiness that we have is what you provide through Jesus Christ. And this morning, Lord, we pray you speak to us, God, because we're sinners that need to be clean. And Lord, I thank you for providing what's needed. I just pray you get a hold of us. And God, I am um, in need of your anointing and, and your spirit. And Father, uh, Lord, um, I ask for courage to say your truth, uh, conviction, um, that I really believe it, Lord. I ask, Father, that there be confession where needed, God. And I ask, Lord, that you just do a work of your mighty grace today. We need to hear from you, Lord, so speak. In your name we pray. Amen. So we open up and she's hurting and she realizes that she has hurt her husband. (laughs) Guys, he has taken off. He has fled. He has gone to the garden and she goes looking for him. Why does she know to look for him there? Well, I believe it must be because that's the place where he goes when he's troubled. And I believe that that's the place where he goes when his heart is broken and he needs to talk to God. And so I think that's where he's gone. Because he loves his wife. And he's mad at her. And he's broken. And he feels rejected and dejected. And so he goes to that place where he can just honestly pour his heart out to the one who he knows is going to listen. And that's God. And so that's where we open. And that's where we uh, find them. And and I want you to notice here in the text, uh, verse 3, the response here. She says, I am my lover's and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. I believe that is her way of saying I'm sorry. I believe that's her way of, of coming clean and, and saying, you know, honey, I love you. I believe that's her way of saying, I'm supposed to take care of you and you're supposed to take care of me. I didn't do that. You're supposed to love me and I'm supposed to respect you. I didn't respect you, so I know right now it's hard for you to love me. I believe these words are her way of expressing that and and saying, you know, I I messed up. I've hurt you and and I love you and I want you to know that. Look at verse 4. You're beautiful, my darling, as Terzar Lovely as Jerusalem, majestic as troops with banners. Terzah was an oasis city, a beautiful place. And of course, Jerusalem was the capital city. I, I think it's fair to assume here that Jerusalem is the home. It's the place where they are most of the time. And Terzah is a lovely vacationing spot. And both of these places are places where they have made memories together. And I think it's what is being said here. He's saying, honey... He says, my life is so blessed by you. And I think he's, 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 he's paying attention to those places where they've made memories together, where their hearts have been bound and wrapped together in love. And, and I, I think he's saying to her, you know, honey, you're my home. I love you. You see, a lot of times when, when you say the word home, a woman thinks of a place that's a domain. Man, it's her place. And, and, and you know, the, a lot of, of who she is, you feel like, this is my home, this is, this is my domain, where I am. But for a man, a lot of times when you say home, home is his wife, it's his kids, it's his loved ones. 
Home is not a place. Home, home are people that, that matter to Him. That, 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 that His heart is after. And I, I think as He says these things, He's saying to her, Honey, I, I love you. You're my home. You're my heart. And, and so we see this reconciliation as it mends and as it, as it moves through, guys. And we come down here to verse 5. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. So what's happening here? What is she doing? Well, you know what it's like when you're mad and you just want to kind of nurse it and pet it and you want to stay mad? Well, that's kind of where he is, guys. But she's looking in his eyes and he kind of sees that little tear trickle down and he sees that she's broken and he sees that lip trembling. And basically, I think what he's saying is, how can I stay mad at that? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you and you're so cute. And you know what you do to me. I can't stay mad at you with you looking like that. He, he's saying, don't look at me. Turn away from me. I want to stay mad. But it's impossible for him to do that when he looks in her eyes. Because when you look in somebody's eyes, you're able to see that person. You're able to see their emotions and their heart inside. And so there's a reconnecting that takes place as they're able to really look at one another. And then what follows is quite amazing because it's a series of compliments. And uh, they may sound familiar because I think they are. <laughs> I think these have been shared before. As we've looked at them, uh, he says... Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them's alone. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of pomegranate. <laughs> he's sharing about her. He's, he, he's, he's, he says, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. And he said this before, so what is this about? I, you know, I, as I thought about that, I thought, well, you know how it is when you... When you first meet and all that electricity's flowing and, and, and you know, you're just, oh, you're in love. But as time goes by, a lot of times, you know, that tends to not be as frequent. And, and you know, all that, that sweetie pie and, and all that stuff, you know, just kind of, it, it's not as prevalent. And I think what he's doing here is he is saying to her, honey, I still love you. Honey, that, that love that I have for you, that longing to be with you, that, that love that is, I feel a way for you, I feel for nobody else. And I think he's just saying again, he's, he's going back to that first love that they felt, you know, all that passion. And, and he's saying, I still feel the same way. Matter of fact, I couldn't help but think of the old song, I think it was New Orleans that sang it, You're Still the One. I try to sing it, but it'd be way off, I'm sure. Uh, you're still the one, we're still having fun, and you're still the one. You know, and I, I think that's what he's communicating to her. And after all, guys, you know, he is king. Matter of fact, go down through here, and, and he says to her, he says, 60 queens may be, and 80 concubines, and virgins beyond number. But notice what he says to her, but my dove, my perfect one, is unique. The only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The maiden saw her and called her blessed. 
the queens and concubines praise her. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I'm a powerful guy. And he says, the truth is just simply this, man. If I really want a, a woman, I have the power in order to woo her and, and to, to bring her into my world. But you're the one I want. It's not the other women that I look at. They're not the ones I want to go home and be with. They're not the ones that grab my heart. It's you. And so he is just letting her know once again, at the end of the day, the one I want to go home and see is you. There's nobody else. You're the one, honey. You're the one I want to be with. And so this series of compliments, man, it's it's pretty amazing when you're talking about a guy who had been sitting out there feeling far, sorry for himself, feeling rejected, feeling beat up. But then he comes back and he's able to just shower her with love. And uh, notice here, she's the only girl of the family. She's got some brothers that uh, show up later in this series of songs. But she's the only girl of her family. And, and so they come together and, and they share. It re- reiterates the heart. And the rest of this message, uh, guys, quite frankly, I want to look at what happens when we fight. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? And and so let, let's just jump into that now. Uh, first, we'll examine the way we're to act. First, a sinner's sin. Is that a big surprise? No. We're all sinners. Guess what? One sinner plus one sinner does not equal one sinner. We're sinners. We need to be forgiven. And even when you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, you still struggle with sin. It's not taken away. It's not completely removed. There's still a fight that causes pain to God, to you, and to everyone around you. And and, and that's, that's the way it is. I, I remember I read an illustration as I was studying for this that caught my eye. A young girl who gave her heart to Christ and then uh, she wanted to Receive, be received into the church for membership and so uh, some of the church leaders met with her and one of the guys asked said, were you a sinner before Jesus? You met Jesus and she said oh yeah I was a sinner. He said well are you a sinner now? She thought for a minute and said oh yeah and she says well what's the difference? And she said well she said some ways I, I almost feel more of a sinner. She said because I, I I think of how I break his heart. She said, I guess the difference is like this. Before I met Jesus, I was running after sin. She says, now I'm running away from it. And that's the heart. Guys, that's, that's the heart of one who's met Jesus. It's not that we don't sin, but the desire is not to run to it, but to run away from it. We're broken over it. We're contrite over the fact that we've sinned and, and that we've hurt God and that we've hurt other people that are around us. And, and yeah, sinners sin, you know. Birds fly, fish swim, and, and Christians repent. And, and that's a sign that we're His, is that we know we need to get it right. We need to be forgiven and, and we need to go to the people that we've hurt. Second truth that goes with an offense here. Sin requires a sacrifice to be paid. Now this is an important truth and I want you guys to get this. 
Whenever sin occurs, somebody has to pay. This principle is true throughout everything. I mean, think about BP, right? Think about what just happened to their CEO. Somebody had to pay. He's gone. He got the axe. Think about a sports team. When they're not winning, somebody has to get the axe. A lot of times it's a, the coach or manager or maybe the athlete's fault. But somebody has to pay. I mean, you can go on with that example. And here's what can happen in a marriage. Actually, this can happen in any relationship. It doesn't just have to be marriage. But any relationship, when somebody sins, and what sin does, sin hurts, it hurts. It hurts God. It hurts you. It hurts other people. When somebody sins and hurts you, somebody's got to pay for it. And so here's what happens, you know, uh, in a in a marriage... One person sins against the other, and that person says, you hurt me, and you're going to pay. That's why we need Jesus. Because here's the deal. Either Jesus pays for it, or somebody else is going to pay for it. Jesus died so that somebody else doesn't have to pay for it. And, and as a Christian, we are to repent. We are, we are to forgive. And, and that's a sign God's got a hold of our hearts. Is that our objective is not to make that person pay for it, but to live in the power of the gospel knowing that Jesus has already paid for it. And that His grace is sufficient, guys. That's the heart. Now, let's define sin. What, you know, what sin look like? I love the old illustration of COD. Remember, you know, you'd get something, you have to sign for it, COD. Cash on delivery. This is not what I'm talking about here. It's commission, omission, and disposition. Usually when we think about sin, we think about the sins of commission. This is the stuff we do. The sins of commission, you know, that's when, you know, you do an action that hurts somebody. But there's also sins of omission. Sins of omission is when I know what I should do, but I don't do it. You know, guys, here, um, she committed a sin against her husband, and she failed to respect him. But maybe he had failed to love her. Maybe um, there hadn't been those words of kindness. Maybe there hadn't been that gentle spirit. Maybe there hadn't been that sensitivity to her needs. There are sins of omission that can occur. And then there's the deed. There's sins of disposition that can occur. That's our attitude. And man, you can sport an attitude, can't you? We all can. Have you ever had somebody mad at you and they didn't say a word, but their silence was very loud? And you knew... They were mad at you because you could just feel it in the room. And you could see it in their eyes. There's sins that we do. There's sins because of what we fail to do. And there's sins of our attitude and our disposition and the way that we act. And God wants to deal with all of those. God, He, does, he wants us to stop this blame game of blaming everybody else for our sins and to be a people that repent. Um, so, what happens here? How, how, how do we repent? What's repentance look like? Let's look at that, guys. First, it begins with conviction. Conviction is not depression. 
It's not just feeling bad about something, saying, oh man, I'm just really depressed. It's, it's more than that. This is Romans 2.15, I thought it was interesting, Richard used this other night, Freak Week. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences are bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. The Holy Spirit speaks and convicts us and we know that it's wrong. As God speaks to our hearts and the conscience and, and we're able to, to see that it's just not, it's not right. There needs to be a confession. And that's the next step, which is simply agreeing with God. <laughs> Going to that person and saying, you know, I've hurt you, I've hurt God, I've hurt myself, and we need to talk. I think it's interesting in James 5.16, we always think about going to God. In James 5.16 it says, Therefore confess your sins and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We're slow to go to somebody. Why? Because we've been hurt before. Because someone um, has betrayed us. But there's a real value. And we're fortunate here at Kingsway there are a number of people that really love Jesus here. And I encourage you, look around. Build some of those kind of relationships where you have somebody you can be honest with, man. And then just pour your heart out. Um, that, that's critical. And, and you know, one way you do that, you may not see that if, if you just come and worship on Sunday morning. You kind of have to get into the trenches and serve Jesus alongside your the other Kingsway folk. So I encourage you to do that. As, as, you, as you get to know people, as you get involved in ministry and activities, then, then you're able to see those who you can trust, who, can, who, you, who you can pour your heart out to, and to confess. It's Worldly sorrow is different than godly sorrow too. Uh, sec, this is 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And when you notice this, it says worldly sorrow brings death. You see, it's not just enough to know that you're a sinner. It's not just enough to know that you've messed up. It's not just enough to know that you've hurt people and you've hurt God and you've hurt yourself. There has to be a change. And that's what repentance is about. It's a change. <laughs> it's a change of thinking. Romans 12, 2 um, tells us that... We need to renew our minds. We need to, we need to be in the Word. And, and I loved it, uh, during Freak Week, as Richard had said, you know where the first text came from? We think about cell phones and text. God. God said. He's the first texter, as Richard shared with us. And we have a text that we need to know, and, and our minds are renewed as we spend time here. And guys, we, we live in an age where that almost seems archaic. Where people say, oh yeah, we're supposed to know the Bible. Yeah. Well, how are you going to know it if you don't read it? If you don't look at it? If you don't get close to God? That's the primary way He communicates with us. To be, to be a, let this become a part of our thinking and our lives. And, and when it changes our thinking, it changes our conduct. Changes the way that we act and, and it's behavior changes. You go a different direction and that has to happen when real repentance occurs. It's more than just feeling bad about it. It means I'm going to change. 
Change the way I think. Change the way I act. Change where I go. That God will get a hold of my heart and make a difference. Zacchaeus was a great example. This little guy had cheated people out of a lot of money. But he climbed up that tree looking for Jesus. When Jesus talked to him, he said, I want to make things right. I want to pay back the debts I have against others. And I even want to pay interest in paying that back. Genuine repentance. Now, a tough word here with repentance. Repentance has got to be more than religious repentance. It's got to be personal repentance. Let me tell you what religious repentance is about. Religious repentance is when I look around and I see your sin and I say, okay, I'll forgive them for their sin. But you don't ever say, God, what about my sin? And it's quite easy to look around and see others' sin. But what about my sin? Listen, to you guys know this parable, uh, most of you, but in Luke 18, read just a couple of verses, Jesus tells this parable. 18, starting at verse 9. He says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, <laughs> Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you, I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Too often what we have is religious repentance. Too often what we have is, if if they'll stop what they're doing, then I'll forgive them. But guys, we have issues too once we're hurt. Bitterness can come in and can take root and can take over. And we've got to be careful that what we're willing to forgive is not just the offense against us, but the sin in our own hearts that needs to be dealt with. So what, what do we do? How, what's this look like? How do, how do we forgive that? How does God get a hold of us and change us? Well, first I want to look at bitterness. Maybe there's some of you here who are bitter today because somebody's hurt you. How do I know what bitterness looks like? I've been bitter before. I've been hurt. Some way we're all casualties. But the beauty of the gospel is God wants to get us past it. That's the gospel. Uh, here's a couple of questions to ask. What's bitterness look like? Uh, do you continually replay a scene over and over in your mind? I told you about these five guys that hurt me one time and I used to have a dream that I'd get all five of them together and beat them all up. Oh, that felt good. Wouldn't work like that, I'm sure, with five of them. But uh, anyway, that was my dream. Do, do you have a scene in your mind where somebody's hurt you and you just replay it over and over again and it, it gnaws at you? That's one sign. Is there someone you try to avoid? Oh, I'm not mad at them. I'm not bitter. I just don't want to see them. I just don't want to talk to them. I just don't want to be around. Sign of bitterness. I'm going to play it safe. Third, is there someone you have a short fuse with? There's no grace where that person's concerned. You get mad 
quickly. Guys, it's a sign of bitterness. Is there someone you've maligned? Does bitterness leak out of you? Be straight with you. Is there someone you find yourself continually talking bad about? You just seem to love to exalt their bad points. Bitterness is there. Think about this. Uh, Do any of these relate to you? Is there someone in your life that you're bitter toward? You know, people... We don't forget, you know. Everybody says, forgive and forget. Oh, come on. It stays in memory. We don't forget. The beauty of the gospel is we're called to forgive even though we haven't forgotten. And that's what God does. Do you think He's forgotten my sin? No. But when it says that our sins are as far as the east is from the west, it means that He has chosen Praise be to God that He has chosen not to bring me into account for my sin. He has chosen not to dwell on my sin. He has chosen not to um, give me what I deserve in regard to my sin. But He has chosen instead to forgive me. You see? And that is the gospel. And that is how we are to treat our loved ones. That is the work God wants to do in our lives. And I am so grateful that He doesn't look at my rebellion and give me what I deserve, but He gives me what I need which is His love and His forgiveness, and that's what He's chosen to do. And I think it's miraculous that at the end of the cross, when Jesus is hanging there, and He's about to die, and He looks out and He says, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And neither do we. When we hurt each other, when we're offended and we sin against each other, we don't get it, and we need to be forgiven. We need a Savior, guys. Somebody's got to pay, and Jesus has already paid. And He wants... He wants us to make those things right. Our God's tender-hearted and He wants to do that kind of work within us. Now, I want to look at just a few things before I close here. How do you recognize uh, forgiveness has occurred or if it's not occurred? Uh, Things forgiveness is not first. It's not approving. It's not saying, sin's okay. It's never okay. It's because of sin that Jesus had to die on the cross. Sin is serious stuff. We're not to approve of it. Secondly, it's not excusing. Oh, that's just your personality. You just got to understand that person. It doesn't give the person a right to sin. We don't excuse it. Third, it's not denying it. Oh, you didn't hurt me. It's okay. That's not the way to deal with an issue is to deny it because it doesn't go away. It has to be dealt with. Fourth, uh, it's not overlooking it. Just going on and just letting it continue on. No, eventually it's going to cause there to be pain and it's going to cause there to be damage and um, maybe divorce. Fifth, it's not forgetting it, as I already mentioned, but choosing instead not to hold on to it. All right, let's look at what it is real quick. Love in spite of what they've done. He said, I'm going to love you because you're lovable. You're special. Choosing not to punish them. You know, it would be easy to let you have it. I know where you hurt. Once you've been with somebody a while, you know what hurts them. You pick up on it. The question is, will you use it as a club or not? True love says, I won't do that. 
choosing to not keep a record of wrongs. You know, I joked about that, but I always say, you know, when she gets, the guy said, when my wife gets mad, she doesn't get hysterical, she gets historical. You know, I laugh at that, I think of that. But, you know, God says, man, don't do that. Don't do that. Choosing to give mercy. You know, someone has said the time that we're most like God is when we give and forgive. Is God in your life? Forgive. It's not a one-time event. Well, I forgave her last year and that's it. Man, it doesn't work like that. Aren't you glad God doesn't treat you like that? Me too. It is not reconciliation. Uh, someone can commit a crime against me and they still have to go to jail if it's a severe enough crime, okay? That doesn't mean there's not a price to be paid for the offense. And guys, just because there's forgiveness doesn't mean there's not a price to be paid. And some people pay the rest of their lives even though they're forgiven. And, and we could spend a whole hour just talking about ways that occurred and you guys could share illustrations with me. Okay, three questions as I close. Um, first, where's your sin? Only you know that. What's God deal with you about? Second, where's your bitterness? You know. Who's hurt you? How have they hurt you? Third, what does repentance and forgiveness look like for you? Is it a part of your life? And bitterness is hard to get over. It takes God. I want to close with an illustration uh, about a lady whose husband was having a... I even hate to use the word affair because it, it almost sounds exciting. and Just adultery is probably a better word on his wife. And uh, she found out about it. And she chose to forgive him and... And, you know, quite frankly, when the Bible says one of the reasons that you're allowed to divorce is when someone's been unfaithful to you. And I think God gives that escape clause because so often the pain is just too great. Just too great. <laughs> but she was, she made that choice. And so after they had wept and cried together, she got some anointing oil. And, uh, she took the anointing oil and she put some on his forehead. And she said, I choose to forgive you for thinking about that woman. And then she took some of that anointing oil and she put it on his ears. And she said, I choose to forgive you for listening to that woman. And then she took some and put it on his lips. And she said, I choose to forgive you for speaking to that woman and for kissing her. And then she took some of that oil and put it on his hands and said, I choose to forgive you for touching that woman. And then she took some and put it on his feet. And she said, I choose to forgive you for walking toward that woman and hurting me. That's the gospel. That's the power of God. And I guess I'm asking you, 
Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to do? Let's pray. Lord, since we're all sinners, uh, none of us are exempt from this, Lord. The good news is, though, that there is a Savior who never turns down one who comes for forgiveness. Here we are, God. You know our hearts. The altar's open. Some may need to come and pray. Others, instead of coming down the aisle, might need to go across the aisle to hug a neck of someone. I don't know, Lord, what you want to do. But I do know, Lord, that you want us to be together, not apart. Whether it's a husband or wife, or whether it's another type of relationship, you are in the business of bringing people who have been torn apart back together. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this couple, and Father, if they chose to come together, that we too would come together. It may be a choice to come back into right relationship with you. Maybe for the first time you're calling one to say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come live within my heart and provide new life. Um, Lord, if that's the case, may that be the relationship that's brought together. It may be the relationship of a husband and wife. Um, Lord, if that's the case, I pray that they be brought back together, Lord. They may be living in the same house, but not of the same heart. And I pray that that change, God. It may be parents and kids. It may be brothers and sisters. It may be friends. I don't know, Lord. But I do know that your forgiveness extends to all. And Lord, that the power of the gospel is beyond our comprehension. And I pray, Lord, that you would display it in your glory. That we might applaud you. That we might reverence you. That we might say... Our God is an awesome God. So have your way, Lord, in this time we call invitation, response. And Lord, may we let you do business with our hearts and may we say yes to what that business is. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.